HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Cooking Issues. This is Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you late, late on Roberta at Roberta's Pizzeria, the Heritage Radio Network in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Calling your questions to 718497, what is it, 497? 2128? You got uh, it. 718497, 2128. Uh, we are so late, in fact, that I'm going to have to, uh, well, while well, I'm calling up the stuff, we can have some of the niceties, but we have no time for the normal no. niceties. We can't be nice today. No niceties. But we do have a caller who's been patiently waiting. Oh, jeez. So. Oh, uh, caller, you are on the air. Hey, Dave. It's Michael Nyken. Hey, hey, hey. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? All right. I hear you're running late today. Yes. Yes, I am. But I'm sure you know that well enough to call in late and only have to wait a couple of minutes. Right. I, I, I've got the whole schedule figured out. No problem. Sweet. So what's I up? just wanted to let you know, I, I, I just got this uh, cocktail book. I, I don't know if you heard about it yet. It's called Liquid Intelligence. Oh, I have heard of that. I hear it's terrible. Okay, I'm, I'm you messing. know, I, I'm actually I'm learning a lot from this book. It's fantastic. Yeah, there are, as uh, I think you point out, a couple of the people. There are a couple of typos in it that we're going to fix for the next printing. There's just so many typos happen. There's so yeah, there's so many data points in it that um, you know. For those of you that are listening, uh, like one of the Manhattan recipes, I think Michael, you might have pointed this out along with a along with a couple other people. Like a one just got dropped, so it says a fat three quarters of vermouth instead of one and three quarters, right? Is that you that pointed yeah, that out? That was it. Yeah, yeah. I but, did notice that. But uh, you know what? I, my book has a million errors, and you wouldn't believe the erotic section for modern cuisine. So you know, don't uh, forget. Yeah, that yeah. Also, we had a weird thing where the the when they did the layout on one of the charts, like a bunch of the acid percentages got switched into just weird numbers. But don't worry, people. Oh, we'll get it all fixed. No, but but in spite of all that, I, you know, forget little details, man. This is a great book. I'm really, really enjoying. It. I'm learning so much about like the details of how things chill and different kinds of textures and the different acid ratios and everything. Like my, uh, I've always been a kind of a seat of the pants cocktail maker, and I can see this is going to up my game considerably. Nice, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I just wanted just wanted to say that because uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to working my way through the whole thing. All right, sweet. And uh, you know, 
one of the things in the book that um, you know address in, in the in the future is that uh, currently our Lyme uh, clarification technique that I use you know you wouldn't use it at home you wouldn't use it if you didn't have a centrifuge or if you had a right. really good centrifuge like you know when I say good I mean you know upwards of uh, forty thousand G's or something like this. Um, you know, you could clarify lime juice without any of the clarification aids that I use. But I think one of the things for research, maybe you can look into it, uh, is uh, this uh, fungal chitosan. Because the, uh, the one thing that we use that's not uh, vegetarian is this right. chitosan, which is derived from shrimp cells. It's non-allergenic. I'm not worried about it from a seafood allergy standpoint. Uh, and it is spun out, so it's not in the product that people are consuming, but it is a processing aid that we're using that's of animal origin, and I'd like to be able to get rid of it. So that's like one of the – that's you know, cause I, I think I might mention somewhere – I can't remember because it's a long book, but uh, – and I've said it on the air many times – is that I think it's entirely fair – for you know a vegetarian to assume that they can not worry about the cocktail menu unless you know unless it obviously states something of animal origin you know right 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 although isn't that the case with some wine finding agents too oh yeah but the, the, the issue with wine finding agents is that no one tells you what they're using so you know kytosan is used as a wine finding agent Right, uh, right, and, right. You know, yeah, I've, uh, I've always put this in the category of things I'm not going to worry about too much. But you're right; I probably wouldn't use it myself. So, right, Fair right. Point. That's the thing. So there's a, you know, it's like I've always said: like everyone's drawing a line, right? I mean, you pay taxes to people that that eat meat all the time. We, you know, we pay tax. I'm sure, like many of the people that you know we hire in the government are, you know, not just meat eaters, but like actual bad people, like you know torturers, murderers of people, like, you know, mutilators of animals, all kinds of horrible stuff. So it's like a question of like, well, yeah, it's a question of where's the line, you know what I mean? And like what, but you know, uh, it's, I think it's always good to push, uh, I think it's always good to push as far as you can in, you know, in a direction. Uh, eh, you always learn. The more you push, the more you learn. That makes sense to me. So do you have any ideas of things that can be used in the Federal for the Lyme? Well, there is in the in the uh, in the EU there is a um, a fungally derived chitosan, and we got a sample of it at the bar. But it was one of those things where I didn't have time to run the test myself, and it it fell through the cracks. Like no one was able to come up with a good protocol for it. It comes in powdered form, and you know everyone was used to using the solution, the chitosan solution. So you know, I, and I don't know that it's you know fully available here in in the U.S. But there's no reason why kaidosan can't be uh, fungally produced. And I think that you know, with the increasing uh, number of people that want you know full disclosure of the processing aids that are used in things, that you'll see more of a, a switch towards it. Because I think just in general, regardless of you know, uh, regardless of anything, people are like ah, shrimp shells. You know what I mean? Right, well, and that latest uh, Lucky Peach pointed out the shrimp industry is a royal mess, so, you know, getting away from that would be good anyhow. Oh, were they talking about the slavery in Thailand? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's horrible. I mean, uh, you know, that first came to my attention, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And I was like, I can't believe it. I can't, I can't, I can't believe it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, it's disgusting. Yeah. Well, it just goes to show, the more, the more you investigate, the worse things are in general, right? In, this is true. In, <laughs> Sometimes you don't want to know. Yeah. Does the uh, clarified lime juice freeze well? No. No. What about in a uh, cryogenic freeze? No. Oh, I've never tried. Like, uh, like actually, like completely immobilize it, like subutectic uh, freezing. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We have a ridiculous freezer here. Why don't you try it and tell me? Okay. Yeah, we'll do it. We got the we got a big bad centrifuge and a nice freezer. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll give that a shot. 
I would freeze it as rapidly as possible so you don't have um, so you don't have uh, increased concentration effects as it's freezing down. Um, right, right. If we put stuff uh, flat in a bag and throw it in that freezer, man, it freezes very rapidly. Yeah, let me know. So what I typically do, uh, or now I've just started doing it with the leftover clary lime because we have a lot of it, is uh, I sugar it and heat it with a little uh, lime peel and turn, just turn it into a cordial. And then it's delicious. Oh, that sounds good too. Yeah, and so it's a, you know it's a cordial that like is already clarified, and so you can use it in uh, you know stirred drinks for a cordial flavor, and it's quite good because you know once you heat it, and you know once you take old lime juice with sugar and you heat it, then it goes from being that awful old lime juice to being something different. You know? Right, right, right. That makes sense. Sounds yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, I want to take up your whole show, but uh, great talking to you. Congrats on the book, man. Thanks a lot. Hope uh, well, next time you're out uh, on this coast, stop by and see us. I would never miss a chance. All right. Take cool. care. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, so we do have one more caller that was waiting. All right. All right. Sweet, sweet. Caller, you are on the air. Hey, David. It's from Silver Spring, Maryland. How are you? Hey, doing all right. What's up? Well, first of all, I want to, you know, just echo the uh, the last caller. book is fantastic. Uh, you know, went through it pretty quickly. Uh, just a wealth of information there. And it was just, I think one of the things that surprised me the most was just how well, you know, your voice, which I know from, from the radio show, came through just, Amazingly, through the book, like I was, I found myself bursting out laughing in different sections. So, just uh, hopefully, it wasn't a serious section. Hopefully, it wasn't like the section where you were laughing at how like poorly the recipe was going. But <laughs> some of that, some yeah. of that. But one one complaint that I do have is that you really did tease us with the red hot poker, and then you're like, "Well, I'm not going to tell you how to do it." Well, I mean, look, I mean, the issue with the, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I you know. I can tell anyone how, how to make it. You know, I can, I could, I don't have it at my fingertips right now, but, you know, I'm never going to sell them. So, right, you know, I have no right. problem telling people how they're made, except for it's, you know, inherently, you know, you, you, if you can weld, you know, and if you can, you know, purchase stuff with a credit card off McMaster Car, you can buy everything. Everything that you need for it, you can buy on McMaster Car's website. Uh, other All than. Right, I just, yeah, I just figured it was, it was some crazy. Uh, no legal liability to to put those instructions in the book as well. Well, and I mean, you know, there's it's already a hundred thousand words as it is, and like you know, I right. you know I'm I I don't what I do explain I don't pull any punches on it. So like if I was going to go into like a full detail, there'd be you know I'd have to tell you like you know what to look out for when you're welding, like you know what wattages to look out for, like you know issues I have with different kind of cartridge heaters, um, because it's basically just a high temperature cartridge heater. And I've tried, you know, many dozens of different wattages and, and lengths and, and diameters, and I've come up with the one that, you know, can uh, run, f- you know, without blowing itself out in the open air. Because every every anytime you use a heater that's powerful enough uh, to burn itself out and try to control it, the control invariably fails with all the thermal cycling. And when the control fails, it always over it always fails in the direction of getting too hot. And then the thing burns out, uh, sometimes spectacularly. So, you right, know, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I can give all this stuff, but then also there's like, you know, there's the, tr- you know, you got to insulate it right when you're wrapping it. You got to weld it right, grind it down. I mean, it's not, none of it's rocket science, you know, like I, you know, back when Piper. It's a, lot, it's a lot more work than you kind of mentioned in the book. So we can revisit that, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, again, if someone wants it, you know, like next week, someone, if you, you know, put, put the question in or whatever, I can. I can give you the part numbers, uh, and in fact, I'm going to be, 
I'm going to be making a batch. You know, someone stole our welder, and as soon as we get a, a welder back in in uh, in the shop, I'm going to I'm going to have to make a batch for this year's Red Hot Pokers. Maybe I'll take some pictures of the process. That'd be cool. So I had some actual questions, though, uh, just uh, on a couple of things. Um, I was going to ask, uh, you know, similarly about the Kitesan. I do keep kosher, so, you know, you, you mentioned the fungal in the book, but I heard your answer, so it seems like there's really not a good um, alternative at this point. What I was just thinking right now is that I would reach out to maybe some kosher winemakers and see what they use for wine planting agents. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, come up with that. Um, the other thing for the, uh, the clarified grapefruit juice, I bought a uh, home carbonation rig. I'm going to be making the gin and juice this weekend. How long? I know you mentioned with the lime juice, it doesn't really keep very well. You find the same thing with the grapefruit juice as well? No. What would you say no. Is like the maximum clarify, storage time? Yeah, clarified grapefruit juice it keeps fairly well. So, you know, I think, you, you know, a couple of days is not going to be a problem. Okay. Are you going to do agar okay. or freeze-thaw? Uh, agar. Okay. I mean, but agar, what I meant is quick, quick agar or freeze-thaw? Well, which would you recommend? I could do either one. If you're going to use it right away, you can do quick, but Nastasia hates doing the quick, right? You, yes. She hates it. It's like one of the things that she refuses to ever do again. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're practiced with quick, the good thing about quick is it's quick. I typically reserve quick clarification for things like lime and lemon that can't sit around or if I only need a small amount. Like if you only need like – you know, half a liter, then, you know, quick is fine. And because if you lose 250 mils, it's not a big deal. If you're trying to make like two gallons of it, you know what I mean? Then quick agar right. becomes a, a, a bit of a little bit of a pain in the butt. And then I would move to freeze thaw with freeze thaw. You're going to have, uh, a, you know, probably a higher yield, less overall work time, even though it takes longer to do. Uh, and, um, there was another – oh, yes, and the, the quick one will eventually – well, the next day will throw a cloud off. So usually if you're going to do quick, do it the day you're going to use it. You know what I mean? You can, right. you, you can resettle out the cloud, but you know, the, there will be some agar that's left in the, uh, in the, in the liquid that will then kind of stick together uh, overnight to form kind of cloudiness. So you know, I would say okay. that – but remember, the freeze thaw takes a couple of days, so you have to start you know, soon. Okay. Yeah, no, because I'm doing for a dinner on Sunday, so actually now it sounds like the free sauce is a better method. Yeah. Um, if I can ask you one more question, it's, uh, um, the, you had a little sidebar in there about eutectic freezing, and try as I might to understand, you know, the, the principle behind it, I actually asked uh, my brother, who's a chemical engineer and brother-in-law also, and uh, we weren't really sure what was going on there. I don't know if you can take a minute to kind of expound on that. Sure. So um, the... There's a, a concentration for uh, you know all salts in in water where um, they it kind of thaws like a um, like a unitary substance like water right and so it's the point at which uh, you know the point at which that happens and the temperature at which that happens so typically when you're using a eutectic freezing plate they'll choose the temperature of the plate based on the um, the salts that they put into it, right? And then it freezes and thaws at that concentration. So if you, if you, have, uh, if you have less salt, let's say, of whatever salt you're going to choose in your liquid, what will happen is you'll start crystallizing pure water out, right? You'll then kind of reach the a, a eutectic solution, and then it'll start freezing as a, as a solid there. I think that's how it'll work. And then it, it'll thaw out. Whereas if you start with the percentage, uh, you know, with that kind of like, you know, magic percentage of, um, 
of salts in it, uh, it will stay liquid and then freeze at its at whatever its temper eutectic freezing temperature is, and then freeze solid. And then as it thaws, it will do the same at the same temperature. So there won't be any temperature drift during the uh, during the freezing and thawing cycle. So it'll. It, I see. So it's all about the uniformity of the uh, of the solution, kind of as it's freezing into into one thing. Right. So you, what you don't want to have happen is you don't want to uh, you don't, you don't want. So normally, if you just use salt and ice, right? Eventually, as the salt st- as the as it starts diluting down, the temperature is going to start rising. Right. Or conversely, right, right. sometimes, you know, if the brine concentration increases because more salt dissolves into it, your temperature can drop. Is it like, you know, like there's like uh, it, can, it can go go either way. So by using this kind of like, you know, these magic ratios, you can have it act like uh, a, a pure substance. Uh, tip, typically, the the specific uh, the uh, heat of fusion is not as great. I think I'd have to look back. It's not as great as it would be in a pure water solution, but you still have that uh, kind of constant temperature. Um, and this is used commercially okay. all the time for things like trucks, where they'll throw like large plates into a huge you know walk in freezer for several days, then throw the plates into a truck or into like a, you know an ice cream cooler case, and then they'll go around and they can keep it at, you know at a perfect dipping temperature or storage temperature whatever they want. I gotcha. I gotcha. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. All right. Okay. All right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right. Thank you. Hey, Jack. I know we only have yeah, five minutes. Going, yeah. You want you want to do the you want to, whoever's paid for this episode. You want them to put it up real quick. What's that? Oh, we got. We, we can keep going. We'll keep put the going. ad in later. Oh, I like that. We it's like to the live listeners. To, like, nah, whatever. We'll put it in later. Yeah, we'll put it in later. Nice. Uh, by the way, Stas, you want to announce what's going to happen with Amazon later? No, I don't really want to. No, okay, because someone called in. Uh, um, Quinn Dupont. I was supposed to talk about. Uh, searing techniques with the searsall on the radio show. So, uh, searing techniques with the searsall. Uh, all right, I think you know. In reading the re- reviews of people that are using it, I think the prime thing. If you think that it's too slow, right? You want to get the searsall much closer to the surface of uh, what you're doing. Uh, the exceptions are things things that are dry, like breads. Go from like kind of you know uh, totally blonde, and they can start burning very quickly because there's not a lot of liquids to moderate it. So those things you have to be a little more careful with. Uh, and so typically breads, I'll hold. What do you say this is? Does was that like two and a half inches, three inches? Mm-hmm. But you know, about that far away, to, and and I'll move it around. And you can actually, I mean, I, I shouldn't say this. You can actually like hold things and like manipulate. It's you know, it's very. You don't have to kind of worry about it. But things like. Uh, steaks, uh, cheese also usually – okay, I'll give you this because I, I'm going to have to go to another another question. He, here's what I usually do. I get it down fairly close and I do tiny little circles and I wait for it to, to start seeing sizzle or bubble or, or movement. And then I'll move away from it and I'll start it in another zone. And by the time I start it getting bubbling in a second zone, I can start moving it back and forth like a welder, kind of creating a, uh, a puddle – not like a puddle, but like kind of creating a zone of searing just like a welder can when you're moving a MIG welder or an arc welder back and forth by you know melting the rod in and forming a puddle. And by doing that, you can keep a re- relatively large area in kind of fine searing fashion. So – uh, and it's a lot more effective than like hitting and stopping and you know m- moving you know moving too quickly, for instance. So uh, the general rule of thumb is is that for something the size of like a rib steak, you're going to want to do about a minute, uh, minute, minute and a half per side. Uh, 
cheese. Typically, I'll go really close till it starts bubbling. I'll pull back a little bit, zip around, and let's say I'm doing like five burgers. I'll hit one really hard go, hit the next one, and then like start moving around until I'm moving around, and I'm constantly hitting each one for you know a couple of seconds until they're until they're all cooked. You're going to get a better crust in terms of like tack 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 crust uh, on something. Uh, by hitting it a couple times and letting it rest a little bit in between. So if you're doing like three or four steaks, it's a good idea to kind of not do one all the way to the finish and then do the next one all the way to finish, but keep them all little, you know, you know, don't have them stop entirely, but hit and then come back to, you know, the same one at, at least uh, twice. I find that's the kind of going to give the best question. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah? All right. And I can give more, you know, uh, more what to call it if anyone uh, wants to know. Okay. Uh, Philippe Lament wrote in, uh, your book is finally coming out. So stoked. Thank you. Uh, I have a sticky question for you. I'm trying to make an alcoholic ice cream for a Paco jet. I want to retain the raw alcohol taste. I've been using cognac and Calvados. Uh, do you like Calvados or Calvados? How do you pronounce it? So I was like, I don't care. I don't drink that stuff. (laughs) Do you like that stuff? I don't think I've ever had it. No? No. You know, the apple brandy? Oh, Yeah. No. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. She's like, they don't make it in Italy or Switzerland, so I don't drink it. (laughs) I don't drink it. I don't drink it. Uh, so anyway, um, do you have any suggestions on ratios or stabilizers I can use to have a nice consistency? Thank you. Uh, okay. So what I would do is, uh, I would do what I always do when I want something to not, I mean, obviously for those of you that like, I don't know, you're zoning out because I'm speaking too quickly or whatever. The problem here is obviously you add too much liquor, you affect the texture. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you don't want to like one solution, which is the wrong solution and you can't do it in a pocket jet anyway. So it doesn't matter. I guess you could is to freeze it much colder than you normally would in a pocket jet, but it's not going to work because when alcoholic stuff melts out, it typically melts out in a weird way. So unlike t- typical sorbets that have re- relatively nice melt profile over alcohol sorbets are like, they just blast out on you. You know what I mean? You've seen that happen, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, not nice. So what I would do is cheat in the same way that I always cheat, and I would make a gel and fluid gel with uh, the alcohol. So I would make a portion of the sorbet base kind of normal and then create uh, a gel and fluid gel. Uh, that, and you want, I would say, total sorbet. Total sorbet. I would go uh, in the ratio of like no more than half a percent, and that will never melt. So you can spin it and it'll stay like the texture of – I mean it won't melt. It'll stay like the texture of uh, just melted sorbet on the surface of the sorbet, but it'll hold its shape. It, so in other words, like whatever it is, whatever your liquid base is in it, don't forget, forget the solids because my recipe doesn't work on that. But whatever the liquid base is, half a percent. Remember you're going to have to boil that and then you can temper stuff into it, let it chill into – and then blend it into a fluid gel and then spin it in the Paco Jet and that should work. And it will be super creamy. You might have to up your flavors a little bit because half a percent of Calco Gel F, F which is low acyl gelan, is quite a lot and uh, will mask the flavor somewhat. But it will be smooth and creamy. Right, Stas, you hate. Do you like things that are smooth and creamy? Yeah, but you don't like when people describe them as smooth and creamy. <laughs> Come on, Dave. All right, right, right. right. Uh, okay, got a story in from uh, Ross in Aruba, uh, and I wanted us to read this uh, on the air. And I might have to read it quickly because you know I'm late. Um, thanks for your help. I look forward to getting the two Searsals. I hope you, you better already have them. He does. All right, good. Uh, as a home cook, I've been coming. And by the way, I like home cook. 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 A lot of honor in cooking. Cook. Cook, cook, cook. Uh, as a home cook, I've become enthralled with sous vide cooking uh, in an Innova circulator, low temperature, I'm sure. I'm amazed with its ease and convenience. Uh, at last, chicken steaks and other meats cooked to desired level of doneness. 
Uh, yes, that is a word, by the way. Uh, without fail. Uh, we've become so attached to sous vide cooking that we took the Inova circulator on a budget vacation to Aruba. Uh, bought a $5 plastic bucket at a local grocery store, and we were cooking. We took Zippies with us because we weren't sure about their availability. By the way, were they available? Could you get the Ziplocs? Uh, and remember, people, don't buy the cheap Ziplocs because remember, Stas, we had that problem with the cheap Ziplocs? Do not buy it. Buy the freezer ones. The freezer ones. We were doing an event the other day, and they were leaking. And uh, how? What, put your angry face on. <laughs> yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, which, uh, because we weren't sure about their availability, we had steaks that uh, could complete uh, that could compete with those available at Aruba's high end restaurants. Before we went to the beach or bar, we'd pop the meat in the uh, in the bags, and they'd be ready when we got back to our apartment. More importantly, if we wanted to do some more snorkeling or have another drink. We could. We didn't have to rush back and tend to the cooking, which is a good point. If you're snorkeling – by the way, I don't know about the safety of snorkeling and drinking. I'm sure you're drinking responsibly while you're snorkeling. Uh, but yes, uh, definitely You know, if you're under the water and the, you know, looking around at all the awesome sea life and you lose track of time, a normal steak would be ruined. Right? Right. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, we didn't have to rush back to tend to the cooking. The food stayed fine and didn't overcook in the circulator. Now we want to try the Sears all at home, not on vacation. Airline security folks may have qualms about such a device. Thank you for your help. Uh, regards, uh, Ross. Now listen, Ross, I bring the Sears all with me all the time, all the time on the airport. And occasionally people are like, what is this? And I go, um, it is a cooking device. And they're like, oh. But I unscrew it from the torch, and I bring the torch separately. And they, they look at it a couple times. Look at it. I also bring red hot pokers with me. I always bring those things. You can bring them in checked luggage, obviously, uh, but then they're going to search your luggage. Uh, I, but I bring them in my carry-on because I never bring checked luggage to demos because I've had them not show up, and then you don't have a demo. So I plan demos around being able to bring stuff in my carry-on. Uh, so you can do it. But uh, good luck with the home use of Sears. I'll let us know how it works. And then uh, how many minutes we got, Jack? Uh, under five. Under five. Okay. Uh, all right. Let me let me let me hit this quick. We wh- is next week Thanksgiving or the week after? A uh, week after. Okay. So Antoine, I'm going to get your brining question on birds because I'm assuming that's for uh, that's for Thanksgiving. I'm going to get that next week as well as Lee Lee Crawford's uh, explanation of. Uh, by the way. Wrote in about uh, Julia Child and went back and watched her old black and white uh, shows. That was from Jean. Oh, that was from Jean? Jean. Jean. G-E-A-N-N-E. How do you say that? Jean? Jean. Jean. Anyway, it's from Jean, not from Lee. Anyway, I went back and watched that episode, which is one of the reasons I'm a little bit late because I was doing reason. Holy crap. I, you know, you forget what a badass Julia Child is. You know what I mean? You forget and then you watch it. She might have been a little drunk. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that's like whatever. That's the uh, stereo. You know, that's her like, you know, that's her shtick. Like she did that way before Hoda and Kathy Lee. You know what I'm saying? Uh, or I don't know. Maybe the same time as Dean Martin did that kind of like, you know, kind of a little bit tipsy thing. You know what I mean? Uh, but such just a, such an intense badass. Uh, I'm going to go back and now, now you've ruined me. I have to go back and, uh, and you know, read all those. So we'll get that. I'm going to hit really quickly um, – Daniel from San Jose wrote about rose petals. Uh, I've been making candy rose petals the classic way by coating the rose petals in a thin layer of egg white, dipping them in sugar, and then leaving them out to dry. My problem is to be able to like to finely chop them uh, for use in a plated dessert, but the egg white sugar 
always flakes apart from the dried rose petal when it's chopped. Is there any way I can modify the prep so I can drop the candied rose petals without them flaking apart? Thanks. You know, I've never tried it, but, uh, uh, you know, the problem is you don't want to heat them. That's the issue. Uh, you know, Johnny Zini uh, used to do a thing where he would dip them in simple sh- uh, syrup and lay them out on a paper towel to dry after he dusted them with sugar. But I think the key is maybe let them half uh, – the egg white is going to be a problem because the proteins are going are gonna, to, you know, kind of crunch up on you. But I think if you let them go demi-sick, as they say, you know, like half dry and then chop them and then let them finish out after, after that, if you can stop them from – the problem is you, they're going to – gum up so you have to sit there and individually chop each rose petal like into a you know you can't even do a shift knot because you can't roll it it'll stick right i don't know it's problematic but uh i don't know i I tried to think of a a surefire way but maybe try johnny's uh way instead of with the egg white maybe it'll work now um as for other things i'm not going to get to in time let me see uh uriel and your milk powder Uh, he's talking about milk powder and maillard for browning and meats i'm going to cut that later and also alex's bear we didn't like our bear but i'm going to research more about bear if you have a young bear then it's uh it's you're going to be better off um but i'll 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 look more into cooking bear the one time that we cooked bear did you even taste it sauce no i don't think i tasted the bear it is it is terrible uh but again uh young young one is young bear is uh good also uh david with your lemon sorbet question i'll catch next time because it is uh, it's not a problem i I can do it and and i just have too many questions to answer but i'm gonna i i I missed ken uh i missed ken ken ingber's uh uh would you call it a diatribe I think he would fairly call it a diatribe. So I'll read that really quickly, and then we can discuss it later if people have uh, more questions on it. Okay. Um, Dave and the Hammer by Extension, if not conspiracy, have been champions of low temperature and sous vide cooking. When you started this campaign on the radio, this was still pretty exotic, requiring either relatively expensive equipment or internet hacks that only a small cadre of enthusiasts would employ. That has changed, not only because of the promotion of low temp and sous vide by uh, us and others, but because sous vide supreme was successful in the mainstream and the cost of an emergent circulator has come way down. I back the Nomiku, which works well. I assume ben, uh, this is harsh. I assume Bam's venture, Bam is Wee Pop Soupy Pot, uh, who, you know, one of the founders of, uh, I assume Bam's venture will not survive because since they've started, uh, polyscience has come down in price and both the Sancerre and Nova are better rated and available for $200. By the way, there's a new Nomiku coming out, so. I don't, I don't, you know, I don't. What's it called? I don't play favorites in the in the circulator market because I'm friends with a lot of these folks. But don't count anyone out yet. Uh, and he goes, bad news for Bam, but great news for consumers. Ouch. Uh, an emergent circulator is now uh, a little pricey for an impulse purchase, but clearly inexpensive enough to be a regular consumer product. But the information and education provided by cooking issues and the like are not as available as the products are. Take me as an example. I am not a typical consumer. I listen uh, to cooking issues. I have books by McGee and Keller on my night table. On your night table. I'm going to tell, tell Harold about that. Uh, and do plenty of research. Hell, I have even read a HACCP plan. Yet with all my attention and devotion, I understand the safety issues that are, uh, I understand the safety issues that are so widely mentioned very poorly. For various reasons, mostly in abundance of caution, I've almost invariably, invariably prepared low-temperature meals by reaching pasteurization, and I use the quick-chill method for storing. But even I don't really understand this. If I am researching pasteurization temp and time, how could this be a big danger I keep hearing about? With conventional cooking, you leave food in pots while you eat, you leave it out on the counter to cool, and you put it in the fridge, all the while in the danger zone. If the contents of the low-temp bag are pasteurized, why isn't that close to canning? Uh, it's not close to canning. It's not, because you're not killing the spores. But anyway, why is isn't that close to canning, giving me a much wider margin of safety than ordinary prepared food? It is, but you know, I'm not going to have time to discuss it, but it is. Anyway, if the bag's contents are pasteurized, I would find it plausible to conclude that it would be perfectly safe to throw it in the fridge without a quick chill ice bath. This was asked by
by someone on the air quite a while ago. Dave, in my opinion, did not catch the drift of the question and did not answer it. This came uh, to a head with considering fish. Chef Steph uh, promoted a combination of salting in the danger zone and cooking for salmon that was declared safe. Uh, and Chris Young did a challenge test on it, which is how they figured out it was safe. Fine for that specific chef step preparation, but you see plenty of examples of cooking fish well below 130 degrees Fahrenheit. Even the amusing hot water tap method. I don't want to cook all fish to pasteurization all the time. In fact, I never do. Me, personally, Dave. Uh, and I want to experiment with textures and the like. How safe is that? What about killing fish parasites? Um, so, look it. And he says, it seems to me the availability of low-temp equipment is far outpacing consumer understanding and capability. If there's really a serious danger associated with low temperature and sous vide cooking, as I've heard repeatedly, then I would say there would be a whole lot of illness arising from this technique at home in the coming years. Best regards, Ken. Look, this is complicated, and part of the fact is, is that we're never going to come out and tell... We, I, look, no one is going to come out and say with a relatively new thing something that you know might get someone sick, even though we all know that people get sick from cooking all of the time. So next time when I get back, I'm going to just have Stas and I maybe if she wants to. She won't. She doesn't want to. Uh, we'll ha- just have like a discussion. Maybe we can get someone on. I don't know. Let's see if we can get someone on. Yeah. And we'll just hash out the food safety stuff. My opinion as a cook versus uh, someone who's more you know, into food safety, their opinion as a, as a food safety expert. Because we're coming from different points of view. We have different acceptable levels of risk. And the acceptable level of risk, typically in pasteurization levels, is one of supermarket morons walking home with a product uh, in an abused situation, not as someone who's like cooking for their own uh, use at home who has more control over their raw ingredients. So I think like there, there are different standards of risk, different standards of what we think the inputs into the cooking are, and those are leading to a lot of confusion. But maybe we can get someone on next week and hash it out. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. All right. We'll try and get them, and that'll be next week on The Cooking Issues. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. <laughs>